Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in futility. First up, he's a writer for the Sacramento Kings Herald. He's uh, a podcast whiz. Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy June. How's it going? Happy June, Will and Jerry. Uh, it's going well, as well as I guess it could go. It's actually raining today, which is not ideal. We're in the, the three good Massachusetts months. So, I, you know, some nicer weather would have been great. But other than that, um, can't complain. Doing pretty good. If raining in June is one of your good months, I don't think you're living in a place I want to be in. You don't want to live here. For, okay. I can answer that for you. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst. He was the general manager of an NBA, WNBA champion. Indiana basketball hall of famer himself, true pride of French Lake, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Great to be with you guys as usual. And, and I'd love to be somewhere that it's raining in June to be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> as, you, as anybody's living in Sacramento area knows, uh, boy, any rain we could get uh, much appreciated. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the rain over here, but I'm not, I'm not going all the way out to Massachusetts. No, to no, I won't go, go that far <laughs> to get it. No. <laughs> So we're going to start this episode uh, in the abstract a bit before we get down into what the rest of the NBA is doing. Um, we, we, uh, we don't have much Kings news at this point of the season. We're, we're kind of walking across the desert right now. We've got the uh, NBA lottery coming up here next week. We've got some other things that are happening. But I wanted to kind of um, address something that's a little bit more in the clouds. Um, and and I, I've got a great chance to do that because, uh, because of Sean Cunningham. Um, basically, ABC 10 reporter uh, Sean Cunningham had a chance to speak with Charles Barkley last week, and, uh, and he asked Chuck if he saw any hope in sight for the Kings, or if he saw anything at all to be encouraged about, to which, Chuck, uh, to which Charles Barkley replied, uh, no, he did not. And uh, he cited that he loved watching the Aaron Fox play, that he thinks Sacramento is an underrated city in, in general, but that he was generally perplexed as to why they weren't getting any better. Uh, in fact, going on to say that he had no idea what the hell is going on in Sacramento. So I wanted to start there only because as, as, a, as a podcast, as a, as a website, as a fandom even, we, we can be accused sometimes of being a little negative or we can be accused sometimes of only seeing uh, the cloud and not the silver lining. So, so we're going to start today being hopeful. We're going we're gonna to take our, our happy pills and we're going to start there. So Jerry and Tony, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to get your opinions on this. One, is there any hope in Sacramento right now that you can see? And if so, give me a couple of things that you see that, that you can be hopeful for personally in the Kings. I, I'd start with saying, you, you know, you've got a, a guard line uh, that you can really build around, I think, with Fox and Halliburton. I've said that before, and I think that uh, they have the potential to be a winning guard line. Uh, they've got steps to make, both of them, but uh, that would encourage me uh, you do have some assets, certainly uh, varying levels of assets, and certainly uh, Harrison Barnes, uh, uh, Buddy Heald, uh, Rashawn Holmes, uh, Marvin Bagley, all to different varying degrees. Uh, but they're but they do have some value type thing, and and so and then uh, 
and the bench was much improved at the end of the year. So there's some cards you can play there. So yeah, there's now, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, it is the, there are some real positives, but uh, not enough. <laughs> Absolutely. That was one thing that I, I, uh, I kind of figured in myself that uh, when I was thinking about whether or not I was even going to do this, is that what's the difference between being uh, negative and being realistic when you're a Sacramento Kings fan, because a lot of the time the realism with the Kings is that there just isn't enough, whether that's talent or draw for free agents or whatever, it just isn't quite enough. And so I wanted to get uh, I wanted to get both of your opinions on this too. So Tony, why don't I go over to you then and give me something that you think? Well, I think there's definitely positives, but to to Chuck's point, and I've watched the clip that Sean tweeted out, and I saw the longer the longer version as well. And I mean, Chuck comes from a place of uh, <laughs> he barely watches the games that they play on his network when he's working. You know, like there's many, many clips of him falling asleep in the back, and I don't blame him for it. I love the NBA on TNT show. Like, I think it's the best sports studio show out there by far in my opinion i think it's very entertaining those guys are very funny i i actually like chuck a lot too but what he says about the kings doesn't shouldn't bother anybody that's that's his shtick that's what he does and even i mean but to chuck's point until the kings prove it then there's plenty like there's no reason why a member of the national media of his level should give the kings any anything i why why would he um, he hasn't had to cover an important Kings game maybe in his entire tenure as an NBA on TNT analyst. Like, I don't know when he started there, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was, you know, before uh, the Kings were were relevant, you know. Um, but like Jerry said, there are reasons in this on this immediate where the Kings are right now to be optimistic. And that is De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. The NBA is such a guard driven league and the Kings have two of the best young guards in the NBA. And I don't think that's really disputable. I mean, there are, there are better ones. Sure. But those are two of the best. They are, they are among the best young guards in the league. Do you see uh, either one of you, Jerry, I'll start with you. Do you see the management right now in terms of uh, Monty McNair and his group? Do you see them as a positive as something to be hopeful for, or is that something that you can't quite tell just yet? I think it'd be, uh, it's unfair to, I think to sit, to make a determination. I, I don't think they've made any real terrible mistakes. I mean, and they've done some really good things, uh, certainly getting some improving the bench at the trade deadline, uh, which they did that, that you got to count that and taking a look at some guys that might have potential. Uh, the draft was terrific. Uh, they, in my mind, and I've said this a hundred times and I still will, uh, uh, to let an asset like bogey go for nothing was a mistake when, uh, I don't care about the contract. That's just money. Uh, you can always go over the, your, the cap to sign your own free agents and you're allowed to trade guys later on. There, there's no rule against that. <laughs> and you can trade and you can trade good players easier than bad players. <laughs> and so, so it's uh, so to me that that was a mistake, but uh, it's not critical per se, but it's just one less asset you have to, to deal with at this point. Tony, your thoughts on this is uh, is no news with the Sacramento Kings uh, general management good news or or do you do you need a little bit more time before you can say you're hopeful about them? I would say there's just as much positive than negative with the McNair era. I mean that's because the bogey thing, but I do think what a small market young team who hasn't had success needs to do more than anything else to me is hit on the draft picks. And McNair has had one draft pick, and we can say it was an obvious pick to to draft Halliburton. 
you know, same thing we said about Vlade when he drafted Fox because we thought that was an obvious pick for the position. But McNair made the pick, and it was a much better pick than a lot of general managers made in front of him. So I, I would say, while I haven't been, like, thrilled with all of his moves, the most important move he hit an A-plus on because there was no one after Halliburton that you would rather have over him at this point. So, I mean, he the most important decision, he, he crushed it. So that's one reason, uh, you know, sorry, Chuck, to be a little bit optimistic that maybe this guy could be a, a decent drafter. And if you he, keep hitting on picks like that, you're going to turn it around eventually. Chuck was just my excuse. He, uh, he got to say it. So I got to point out because we do have people that they like to, they like to listen to Jerry and Tony and I, and they like to, uh, to like to assume that we get, we get together in the background and, and uh, maybe talk a little crap about the Kings and that's all we can talk about. So I just wanted to open the, the podcast with a little bit of softball, let you guys get some positive press on you. <laughs> Look, Jerry and Tony can both be positive about some things. Uh, Jerry, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned trades. And so, uh, I, I wanted to bring up, uh, certain trade rumors at the Kings or certain, uh, uh, popular things only because you aren't on Twitter. You, you're a little more disconnected than what Tony and I are. A lot more, and, uh, a lot more disconnected. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations to you. You're much healthier than what me, me and Tony will ever be because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the moves that was getting tossed around last week was uh, after the Mavericks um, were eliminated, there were some people on both sides of the fence that were discussing a, um, a potential move. Uh, this was only a fan thing, not necessarily rumor, but uh, Chris Stapps for Zingas for buddy healed or or any sort of trade within there is that something that uh, that you'd be con- you'd be you'd be considerate of or is that a, a non-starter for you jerry well well at this stage i, I am no fan of Kristaps porzingis I, I thought he'd been a major disappointment in dallas and his contract far exceeds his uh, production uh okay having said all that uh if i would probably do that trade it's a risky, it's a small risk, but it's a risky trade. But if you trade a, a, you know, in effect, buddy, a guard that you don't feel like you need as a starter anymore. Uh, and Porzingis certainly at seven, three does have talent, even though, he, you know, he, we may never see what he was supposed to be, but uh, yeah, I would, I, I would, I would, you know, I mean, I think this team has to take a chance here or there and, and that would be, other than the uh, difference in money, uh, and you might be able to make that more palatable too, if in fact they wanted it, because I'm pretty sure they want to move him. Uh, you know, he's become a really hasn't been that productive, and and I think his divaness is probably starting to wear on him a little bit. And, and uh, but the truth is, uh, he uh, if if in fact he wanted to, you know to kind of get back healthy and and he have a chance to be more of a star here than he was in Dallas. Uh, it might work out very, very well. I mean, it's, uh, and, and like I say, if I thought Buddy was going to be, had, would be your starting guard for the next three or four years, I, I'd probably look at that different, but I don't see any way that makes sense. Tony, what do you think about that? I don't hate it if that's the, the price point either. I know I've seen some versions where uh, the Kings, you know, again, just fan speculation and you know where the Kings would have to add something like Bagley to Buddy to get Porzingis. Even that doesn't bother me a whole lot because I don't know what Bagley's future with the organization is at this point either. Um, but what what is interesting to me about this trade is because is that this this to me seems like what the return for Buddy would be if the Kings are 
determined to trade him. Like you, you need the player coming in to be someone with warts. Like you're not going to get a perfect fit there. It's, it's going to be a guy with a bloated contract, just like buddy is that maybe fits better for both teams. And from that standpoint, I think it, you know, it could make sense for Dallas and it could make sense for the Kings, especially if the Rashawn Holmes situation gets even more sketchy in unrestricted free agency where they, you know, they could find themselves without a center in a few months and, you know, in a lot of trouble. So there are definitely reasons why um, I think that trade does make sense for both teams. Jerry, we've talked in the past about um, how, how Monty McNair is going to need to make a big swing that, that it's kind of in agreement with all three of us that he's going to need to make a big move. If, if the Kings are going to do something different, they brought Luke Walton back. There won't be a change in the head coach. So something has to change. Do you feel like a, a Porzingis trade would be something that would, would, uh, bring excitement back to Sacramento? Do you think that would be a move that would put asses back in the seats of the Golden One Center? Do you feel like that would be the big move that Monty McNair would make? And if that is so, would that be a big enough move for the Kings to possibly make a, a playoff run? Or, or, or is this one of those things that you just, as you mentioned time and time again, this is more of a we'll trade us, we'll, we'll trade you our asshole for your asshole and we'll just see how it gets, how, how it goes. Well, you know, it, it, there's no doubt if, if Porzingis could get back to being the Porzingis that he was in New York before his one of the in, many injuries, uh, yeah. he he definitely could make the uh, difference. He'd make the team significantly better. Uh, or, or how that would play out in the playoffs, that's just too much. And would it put asses in the seats? And uh, I, I'm not sure anything will until the team plays and plays better. You know, I, I think people are at the wait and see circumstance i know a lot of people i talk to that have given up their seats they're just saying well we we might go back but we're not going back if the product's not significantly better and that's just the facts and now you know you be how many that is i don't know but but my i suspect that with porzingis play of late that wouldn't make that much of a uh home run type thing i mean it is a it would be a risk uh how much it'd be but uh you know, it, it's like a, a lot of, I mean, it is one of those things to where certainly if both guys are playing at their very best, but he healed at his very best potential and Porzingis at his very best uh, potential, certainly you'd have to say at full health and all that. Well, well, you're getting a much more talented uh, difference maker in Porzingis. If that, and that's a huge if, I, I get that. I, I get that, but but at some point, uh, you know, I, I think it could could make a difference. Yeah, Tony, as a uh, as a potential season ticket holder living in Boston, um, does that does that move the needle for you? I think it would it would change the dynamic enough to be interesting. I can't say it would put people in the seats. Like I think Jer- like Jerry's right, it would take winning to do that. But I think that is a like we've had largely the same roster in Sacramento for like three or four years now. And I think there is a certain uh, tiredness with the fan base of like, all right, when are we going to do something, something to change this up at its core? They haven't, I don't know. When was the last real core shaking, maybe trading for Harrison Barnes was when you added a real sort of impact high minutes per game starting type player. Um, But since then it's been mostly the same guys. So I think just adding Porzingis changes the dynamic so much. Like, we haven't had a stretch center in Sacramento in a really long time either. So it, it just, it gives the roster a different feel where I do think you would get some excitement back, maybe not enough to, you know, asses in seats. I don't know if I would go that far, but I think it does change the dynamic of the roster. 
we've been talking about getting De'Aaron Fox more space in the paint. That brings the big man out more in a way the Kings haven't been able to do in a while. So it does change the dynamic of how the team will play. And I think that will result in, in a different feel for the team on the court, which, you know, things can sort of snowball and you get asses in seats eventually. But I do think if Porzingis is good, then there are, you know, like, the, like Jerry was saying, the, the, you're probably raising the ceiling of the team and, and maybe lowering the floor because for what Buddy does wrong, he always plays. He's out there every single night. He has, he's missed like four games in his entire career, something crazy like that. He never gets hurt. And Porzingis is a guy where he could miss a half, half a season every year. You, you just never know. So it, it could go either way, but I do think the raising the ceiling is what the team needs to do. And this trade would do that at least. And the other thing I'd say, you know, before, I mean, you know, before you'd ever do anything, you'd want to have permission and you'd have to have it in, in order to have your doctors really uh, check him over. And I mean, and, and, and with the, with the, 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 you know, the authority to say, no, don't do this deal. Uh, you know, I, I'm well aware. I always remember the Ralph Sampson deal because I was the coach when that happened. And, and you know, and the, and the doctors basically had told, I mean, my understanding is they told Bill Russell that, no, this, you know, this guy, he's a dead horse, you know, I mean, and it wasn't Ralph's fault. I mean, he had no legs. And I, I, that's the thing that would worry me about Porzingis. And, and I'd, I'd want doctors to sign off on it for sure, you know, to say, okay, yeah, he's got, had some injuries, but he could get healthy. Uh, uh, he, you know, there's no reason he can't uh, get healthy. And we saw him playing at the end of the year. And so, so, you know, that anyway, that I, I would just have to be, be assured of that because as Tony said, I mean, think about buddy, uh, he, he's going to be on the floor. He's available. And, and so, uh, you know, he's got enough talent to where, at some point there, there'll be a trade for him if you want to trade it. Yeah. I just wanted to, uh, obviously we don't have any NBA inside sources that say this is anywhere close to being done or, or even, even an option, but it was something that got discussed. Uh, fa- the fan base seemed to be fairly uh, negative toward the trade, not just because of his health or the fact that he's kind of a seven foot three shooting guard who, who couldn't, couldn't post up two bags of rice. But he also has uh, off the court concerns in terms of things that have happened in the past. So there was enough things there that most people just kind of went, well, don't don't bring another don't bring another headache to Sacramento. But in terms of talent for talent, I think it's a it was a decent discussion on 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 where we see Buddy and what kind of return, especially as Tony was saying, what the best possible return we can get for him is, and that Porzingis and maybe you know a Buddy Marvin Bagley deal would probably be the the best we could do for those two. I don't think the league is ready to, uh, to see the Sacramento Kings in the level of frustrating frustration they'd have if, uh, if Bagley and Luca are on the same team and, and playing well together. I think at that point, the amount of crow we'd have to eat would be, uh, <laughs> would, would move the crow into an endangered species. But we'd... Well, I, I, in, in fairness to Bagley, I think his game would likely uh, improve uh, remarkably. Absolutely. I do believe that, you know, I think that's a, but you can't not make a trade for that reason. You've right. got to make it. Of course, I, I like I say, I, I think with all the different trade scenarios, I think once you once you start putting Bagley into the mix with Buddy, then I, I wouldn't go there. Sure. I mean, I just think that's a little too rich for your taste, huh? Too big a risk. A little too rich, yeah. Can I say something about Bagley real quick? 
that I've been noticing on on Instagram. So Jerry, this will be news to you, and it's a, this is a bad point, but this is an off season show, so we can sort of make bad points. We don't have anything else to talk about. Um, one of my complaints with Bagley for throughout his career is during the off season, he's been doing a majority of his workouts with his family in house. I don't want to judge, you know, what kind of trainer those guys are or whatever, but he's always working out with his younger brother and his dad, and they're doing these whatever. And and his body comes into camp. His body looks the same for the most part. And I'm left wondering like, well, maybe if he got some other trainers in there, mixes it up, whatever. He's been working with some different trainers this summer. And he's been posting about it on Instagram as NBA players do, but it's just something I picked up on. He's in Miami. He's working with these trainers. That is not, not his dad. He does look a little bit bigger. It doesn't look like he's putting some weight on it. Again, these players promote themselves on Instagram and these workouts all the time. I'm not trying to buy into the, the little the Instagram hype machine, but he's working out a lot. It seems like he's working out with new NBA trainers who have trained NBA level players in off seasons before, which I like to see. Um, so if I, I'm not ready to say, you know, breakout year coming based off of this tiny information, but that was a step that I was hoping Bagley would make to sort of um, extend who he's working with in the summer so he doesn't continually come back as the same guy. We, we just haven't seen a lot of progress from him summer to summer, whether that's skill-based or body-wise. He hasn't really changed much to me. So seeing him out there already working with different people who have trained NBA players in the past, just a very small little nugget of information that I've noticed this whole month, and I've, I've liked seeing that from him. So hopefully it works out for him. And, and yes, he's very much still young enough to turn his career around. And if he gets with the right people... Um, there, there's no reason why that still couldn't happen for him. Jerry, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to spin off of this for a second here, Tony. Um, uh, back in your, back in your coaching days, how much training did you give a guy in the off season? How much, um, how much finger pointing did you do during, you know, at the end of the season, um, during your exit interviews or whatever, did you say, Hey, I need you to work on this and this and this during the summer and maybe try to connect with these guys over here. Did you do any of that? Uh, did you did you point to specific trainers outside of uh, outside of franchise guys, or or did you leave that to the players? Well, in those days, you didn't have any opportunity to do that. Uh, I mean, you could talk to them, but uh, you we didn't have assistant coaches that could travel or sure. or trainers that could travel, and we didn't have any of that. That's just a fact. Didn't have practice facilities uh, for that matter. So uh, so I mean, it, it was a whole different world. Not just for the Kings, but for, for most teams, but most teams did it better than the Kings. We were always, uh, you know, save money on, on, on things that were, at, <laughs> I thought kind of essential, but, but uh, sure. to answer your question, you know, it, it really come to like, Hey, uh, you know, this is what I saw, you know, in an X interview, you need to become a, you know, work on your three point shooting your free throw shooting is not good enough. You've got to find a way, uh, to get, you know, just basically some parts of the game that you saw as, as weaknesses that they, they needed to, to think about and work on. And, uh, and you really had no control really at that until they, they came in for camp. And uh, sure. so, yeah, it's a, it was a totally different world. You didn't have development guys. You didn't have like, say, a Drew Hanlon uh, trainers. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. You had one assistant coach and, one trainer was there a guy jerry that stood out to you as somebody who you sent away going hey here are the things you need to work on and they came back and either positively or negatively you went oh wow they really worked on their game or oh wow they sat their ass on the couch all weekend yeah one guy and he wasn't a great player but uh i i think randy brown 
uh, was one of those guys that you know, we talked about. He just he was such a great athlete and defender, and he had to work on his shooting. And he got so he could shoot decent, and you know, end up having a say. He was second round pick, and end up having a very nice career. You know, with the Bulls uh, as well as us, and the went the Bulls, and then finally the Celtics. But you know, had a 10, 12 year career uh, because he could go out and guard somebody, which he always could. That's kind, of, and then got so he could make open shots, and and you know, he put the time in, and uh, you know, I always thought, you know, and I think sometimes we we spend too much time on those kind of things, looking at the stars. Well, the stars, generally speaking, are going to be stars anyway. It, it's tough to keep Michael Jordan from being good. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, you know, whether, whether he has 18 development guys or zero development guys, uh, it, it's going to work out for him. But uh, but anyway, so, yeah, that's one that comes to mind. And, you know, but, but I, I'd say that uh, my experience, for the most part, even in those days, uh, guys were professionals. You know, they they – you know, it's still a good living and they knew it sure. and, uh, and would come to camp in, in good shape and all that, uh, just didn't have the, you know, all the bells and whistles that they have now. I mean, there's just no excuse for not working on your game and you can, uh, you know, basically you can keep tabs of them. I mean, basically you got enough guys to pretty much send a, <clears throat> an assistant coach out uh, to anybody that wants to work with one, <laughs> I mean, or, or that sort of thing. I mean, actually, I probably worked with players' actual development more than anybody, and I always thought that was good. I really think that's what's missing in the league a little bit. I think head coaches, you know, I guess goes back to my college <clears throat> days, but but I, I think uh, from a relationship standpoint, having a head coach actually work with the players individually, yes. some themselves, gives you a uh, you know, better idea of the player, strengths, weakness, work ethic, all that. Uh, I think, but that, but that's pretty much non-existent in the league today. Just to uh, close the loop on the Bagley thing, because I looked it up real quick. He's working with Stanley Remy out in Miami, who's also in the uh, the Rico Hines sort of uh, family of trainers. Rico Hines is, of course, an assistant with the Kings. So Bagley is, seems to be working with the right people this summer. Will it make a difference? I have no idea, but I do like to see him in the mix with, with those sorts of trainers who have a pretty good reputation of developing NBA players over the summer. Yeah, it's a positive, and I agree with you, Tony. I mean, there's no negative to that. You don't know how to play out, but it's a, it's a good, positive step forward. Let's, uh, let's stay on the coaching a little bit here, and I want to talk about um, the league. The league has some coaching uh, vacancies that I want to talk about a little bit. Obviously, we um, – the, the – They've got the Pacers, who got rid of Nate Bjorkman after one year. Um, you've got um, the uh, the Orlando Magic, who got rid of Steve Clifford. Uh, Portland, who, no surprise, unfortunately for Terry Stotts, Terry Stotts was fired, even though he's he's done fantastic with that Portland team. Uh, Boston, uh, Boston, and Danny Ainge was one that I was curious about, Jerry, that I wanted to get your opinion on. They uh, Danny Ainge leaves. Brad Stevens gets promoted and now they're looking for a, uh, for a head coach. So Jerry, I just wanted to get your initial opinions on those moves first. And then, and then we can get into the nitty gritty on it a little bit. Well, I, I think the, uh, I don't understand the Portland move at all. Terry Stotts is a really good coach. And, and I, I think it's a case of a, a franchise that thinks they're better than they are. I mean, sure. they're, they're, you know, to me, you know, not that they couldn't have won a series, another series or a couple more games here or there, but, uh, you know, he won 56% of his games and it's basically a guard team. And, uh, 
and great guard <laughs> and Lillard, all that. I, I but but I, I just don't. I'll be surprised. To me, it's a little bit like the uh, Indiana thing when they got rid of Nate McMillan. Okay, uh, be careful what you wish for. You 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 may find out that. <laughs> or get Sacramento Kings getting rid of uh, Rick Adelman. I think we can go back to that or, or yeah. Mike Malone. I'd be careful what you wish for because uh, just changing coaches to change coaches has never been a good move. And I, and I think that's what that was, to be honest, uh, in Portland. The, the, other, the others, I mean, you know, with Clifford, solid, competent coach, but, you know, they, they didn't have any success and they probably need a, a restart. Uh, in Indiana, that thing, I think it was just a case where the new coach came in and he wasn't Nate McMillan and, and rubbed, sure. rubbed a lot of guys the wrong ways when things started going sideways. And, and that's, uh, uh, and I'll say this, whether it's not an indictment necessarily on, on, on the coach, but I, I think that with Indiana, that's one of the reasons they've been a very, generally speaking, a successful small market team. They, they try to correct their mistakes as soon as possible, you know, <laughs> you know, rather than just, well, we'll live with it. You know, it's like they, they right or wrong. They were convinced he wasn't the right coach going forward. And, and, and so, and of course they made the mistake of, of, of getting rid of Nate McMillan. And, and I think they know that now, but anyway, that one, uh, you know, so, so those, those are kind of well, very interesting to me. Gary, are you surprised at all that Danny Ainge stepped down? A little bit, a little bit. I knew he had some heart problems, you know, and he's at early 60s now, I think. And and uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Danny get back in somewhere. I, I really think it this might be a battery recharging thing. So knowing Danny a, a good bit, uh, uh, you know, bright guy, bright guy. Things didn't go particularly well with the Celtics at the end. And uh sure. You know, and so somebody has to kind of answer for that. And I think Danny, you know, kind of, you know, was the guy. Uh, he'd been there the longest and all that. But, you know, he he's, a, you know, to me, he's one of those, if a team's going to hire a GM at some point, you know, and I mean, he's a proven guy that can build it. He's proven he can build a championship team and an awfully good team. Uh, okay. Uh, stuff happened there at the end. Uh, you know, you say the same thing about, Daryl Morey or, or Jerry West, for that matter. I mean, you know, or Pat Riley, they've all had their, or Jeff Peter had their down periods, you know, but, but it, to me, I, I, I just, you know, Danny, I, I know of all the players I was around over the years, he, he was the smartest by far, smartest basketball player and understood the league and the game. Uh, he was, you know, kind of a, I mean, to my mind, a coach, truly a coach on the floor. He, he really got it, you know, and he, and, he, and he followed the college game. You know, he was, in my mind, he was just way ahead of 90% of the, the players at that time that I'd been around as far as understanding, you know, what, what the game was about, and what it took to win, things of that nature. Tony, what were your opinions on these moves? I'm, I'm curious to see what your perspective is. I agree with Jerry 100% on Portland where it's like, that team to me sort of reached their potential this year and every year under Stotts. Like if, if that GM thinks that that's a championship team, I don't think any coach is winning the finals when your best play, your second best player is in a, is a non all-star and it's CJ McCollum who's good, but he's not, you know, there's 50, 30, 40 players in the league that are just as good as him. So I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think Stotts did anything that any other coach 
couldn't, you know, would have done with that roster. The Boston one's interesting, but I do think in that case, Stevens did, his team did underperform, whether that was Stevens's fault or whoever's fault it was, that was a roster that very much didn't reach their potential. So that one, you know, makes a little bit of sense to me, at least from that perspective. But I do think Stevens is a very good coach and I I'm fascinated to see how he does as an executive. Now, I don't know. He's just never done that job before. And to, for Boston who need they're like, we think the Kings are under a lot of pressure right now. Boston has, has the, the hard part done. Like they got their two stars and if they don't fill them with role players who can take them to the championship or at that level, um, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So ha- asking someone like Stevens, a first time GM to thread the needle with a roster that's close, but if you mess up, you're really screwed. Um, to ha- have someone do that who's never done it before is going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, he's never hired a coach before either, but um, it'll be interesting to watch. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I think that made a little bit more sense to me than the Stotts one, even though the Boston stuff was crazy. The first day that all came down, I was like, what is what is happening? It seemed like a fake report. <laughs> I thought I got like a fake Woj tweet or something because the, the details he was saying immediately were so bizarre. Danny stepping down, Stevens is moving to the general manager position. Um, it was a crazy day but i guess looking back you can kind of see that there's some there's some reasons why those moves made sense i i suppose well one thing about one thing i would say about uh brad i, I mean obviously a very smart young man and, and i mean and who knows his team better than him you know the current players now yeah. that may create some issues going forward but uh how how good he'll be i don't know i mean i, I think it's going to be just the the expectations with the celtics uh are so much. And uh, of course, I, I think a lot of their demise, and I'll just quit on this is, and I think Danny, the mistakes he made were, were just a, basically losing assets for nothing. Kyrie Irving and, and Gordon Hayward. And, and I mean, when that happens, you're not as good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and, and that's exactly what we just, they just weren't as talented a team this year as they've been. It's interesting that you guys both brought up that uh, the the ceiling for Portland was limited, and which uh, Neil Olshey, the uh, the general manager of Portland, uh, got got some flack this week for saying in his press conference about this that the first round loss was not a product of the roster, that he felt that he'd built a roster that was good enough to win a championship, that their twenty ninth. Um, uh, they're, they're, they were 29th in defense this year, and that was not a, uh, a byproduct of the players that he brought in, but rather the coaching of those players. And it, it, it's one of those things that we, we've been through, Vladi, and we've been through other, uh, other general managers who like to talk a lot. And I felt like that was something that from Neil Olshi that I kind of went, it felt very like, oh, no, like, oh, like, you know, you better hope that the next coach you, you hire ends up winning the championship this next year because you've just put the target on your head by saying that. And I'm I'm just curious that you guys do you do either of you guys feel like this this Portland roster was good enough to win a championship this year by itself? No, 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 of course not. And and I think really that's just a case of Neil sure. covering his own ass. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, basically somebody there's disappointment in Portland because they had a you know probably higher expectations than they should have in my opinion, but that's okay. Uh, ownership and fans always do. Sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but but uh, uh, to me, that's a case of Neil's. Well, if I can throw the coach overboard, then I sure. got myself a couple sure. more years. You know, yeah. it's it's kind of the old GM trick of uh, my yeah. five year plan. You know, which I've said many times. Yeah. A five year plan means you have no plan except staying employed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Portland was probably probably too good to lose in the first round if they were healthy. But Nurkic wasn't Nurkic this entire year, so it's like all you really have is Lillard and. Olshay made plenty of mistakes. Like that Gary Trent trade, I think was a pretty bad trade for Portland. I'd, I'd rather have a Gary Trent with team control over unrestricted free agent Norman Powell right now. And then, um, you know, the Zach Collins pick didn't work. He was always injured. So he was, he is not without blame for the roster in my opinion at all. And especially when one of your best players in Nurkic wasn't healthy all year. Um, yeah. Your roster has a lot of potential, but if half of it's hurt and you made some bad trades and draft picks along the way, if you don't, completely reach expectations i don't know that that's all on the coach especially when stotts has such a good reputation in previous years so yeah i thought you know i mean i thought they did about you know to me denver probably was better they had a better record and they beat them mm-hmm. you know why wouldn't they i don't want to turn this into uh, to a to a portland trailblazer podcast all of a sudden but i'm curious as to some of the names uh jerry that, that are being thrown out there for the coach and not necessarily for just this team but in general um, Mike D'Antoni uh, is getting back in the mix. Uh, they, they, they've talked about him getting an interview for the Trailblazers. Um, um, uh, Becky Hammond is another another popular name that's been thrown out there, and she'll be getting an interview as well. Um, and then a guy like uh, Chauncey Billups. Uh, and those are three those are three different types of coaches that I'm curious as to which one you think would fit in Portland or would fit in Boston or would fit in some of these other places. Um, Becky Hammond being a, a first-time coach who's kind of, um, you know, be, been an assistant now for a while, who's kind of earned her her stripes, but has never had a head coaching job. Mike D'Antoni, who's a offensive wizard, who's been there for a while and might not be a, a real long-term uh, coach. I mean, that's not a guy that I don't think will be coaching eight or nine years from now. And then Chauncey Billups, who is a former player, uh, who, um, who played in the NBA, who, who's been a point guard, who would be able to coach a guy like Dame and be able to relate to him point guard to point guard. Um, are there any of those names that stand out to you, Jerry? And, and which one do you would see is like, Oh, that's the guy that I would pick, or that's, that's the person that I would, uh, I would prefer for one job over another. I, I could see where Chauncey would have a lot of uh, interest. I think, I mean, you know, he's uh, been an assistant coach, you know, did some broadcasting, obviously former player, outstanding player, uh, sharp guy, uh, I would have to think just for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, I mean, certainly to have a lot of credibility with their key players, which is uh, Damian Lillard and, and CJ. Uh, so, so I, I think, you know, if you're going to go a different route now, you, you just don't know what you don't know there. I mean, and you know, same thing with Becky Hammond as the first female, you know, it's a, a it's, it's, it's risk, a little riskier. I mean, I don't want to sound like a misogynist or something, but if, if things don't go well, uh, you know, firing a guy is a lot easier than maybe firing the first female. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to look at that. that that's a part of the deal. Uh, if they don't win, uh, you just fired a very successful coach. So uh, now Mike D'Antoni, uh, I, I just don't think would be a good fit there, personally. I think if I'm Indiana Pacers, I try to hire Mike D'Antoni, possibly, or Terry Stotts. Uh, because they, they, you know, with their talent, if it get they get healthy, uh, you know, T.J. Warren and some guys, uh, that could be a, you know, a 50-win team again uh, next year. And so that'd be the job I'd 
with less pressure because they underperformed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that that's a, that, you yeah. know just a thought there. But uh, but they're you know I mean with with Mike uh, you you know he can coach. He, it, the record is there. Uh, uh, you know Chauncey could be the next Greg Popovich, but you don't know that until you know it. Or so can Becky Hammond and until you sure. until they you know get the right spots. Uh, you know, we don't know. I, like I say, it's going to be really interesting uh, in all those spots because when you get rid of successful coaches, and, and Brad Stevens certainly was, and now he's he's got to hire his uh, successor. Uh, you you know, you're you got to get it right. Uh, he's got to get it right, and 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 certainly the pressure in Portland. Uh, you better get it right, or there'll be changes a little higher yeah, up sure. next. Sure. Tony, what were your thoughts on this? One thing uh, I do want to say about Stotts, because Jerry made this point before, and I, I've been thinking about it now with every head, uh, head coach firing and hiring, and that is you have to make sure the guy you replace him with is better. And I think Mark Cuban said the same thing about Rick Carlisle this week, where yep. um, uh, he was like, yeah, you know, I don't think changing head coaches is as easy as people think, because oftentimes the grass is not always greener. But I do think someone like Stotts entering the coaching market from the Kings perspective that's someone that I would feel comfortable saying like, yeah, I would, you know, and I, I won't speak for anybody else. I would love Terry Stotts here. And that's a guy where I think you could confidently let go of Luke Walton and say, Hey, I've got a guy lined up who has proven a lot more um, for a lot longer than the guy we currently have. And that's where I would be. I would be safely saying, I think that's an upgrade. Uh, obviously the Kings didn't go that direction, but I do think that is an example of a player who is a coach who is on the market that would present the Kings with an upgrade at coach without the risk like Chauncey who could be good but you just don't know like I, I could see not hiring Chauncey because there is inherent risk there in a first time at coach but someone like Stotts who has had success and had it recently that would be a an ideal sort of coach for the Kings to me but as far as you know these other openings I do think the Celtics uh would love someone like Chauncey I think the reason why they moved Stevens to the to the general manager position is because they wanted someone who would better communicate and motivate players and and maybe empathize with them a little bit more and Chauncey as a former player who played in Boston for a very short period of time. But I do think he would be very high and is very high on the Kings list just because he represents exactly what they're looking for uh, and, and exactly what maybe Brad Stevens wasn't great at when he was there. Yeah. I've, I've always thought too, you know, that a guy that if I was going to take a chance on an assistant that with no head coach, you know, Sam Cassell comes to mind. I, I've always, you know, I just, he's such a gritty guy and, and, uh, former King for about two days. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of those <laughs> money drops or whatever. Yeah. Did he play a game? I don't remember. I, don't know, I know he, played he never played a game. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, of course, Tyrone Lou was Tyrone Lou was too for a brief mm -hmm. period. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, some of those guys, you know, I always says like Elston Turner never got a chance. I never understood that. Uh, where some guys get, you know, they get the rep. Oh, he's the hot assistant. It's like, well, you know, Elston was an assistant on a lot of really good teams, and the player players liked and respected him. Everybody did. Uh, it's like, yeah, you know, why? I don't know. Uh, and then, and some guys, you know, uh, get several chances. But uh, anyway, tough. But I, I mean, on one last thing, I'd say, I'll say this about Stotts. If if I'm Indiana. If I'm Boston, if I'm Orlando, I interview the guy. 
you know, I mean, any the, the, he could fit with any of those franchises. I'm curious as to your perspective on this, Jerry, because we have uh, really, we have three playoff teams that are looking for a coach. And we have the Orlando Magic who are young, who are inexperienced, who they kind of even brought Steve Clifford in there as a, as a veteran coach to kind of whip up these young guys into, into a NBA basketball franchise shape or whatnot specifically for the, for the, for the magic, is this a, a chance if you're the owner or the general manager, would you hire a coach that you know is young and he's headstrong and he, he needs to grow into an NBA job as well. And you just give him that time. Or would you, would you go the Terry Stotts route and have a guy that you know is proven and successful who, who is either going to, you know, you know, two years into it, he's either going to be having this team on the road to the playoffs or he's going to just be done and fed up with, with a job like that. Would you prefer a vet in that case or, or a young guy to grow with a, a young male or female only because that we do have Becky Hammond and we do have, um, there's another one as well, Don Staley. Um, um, wh- where would you prefer uh, uh, when it comes to a, a rebuilding franchise like this? Somebody new or somebody a little bit more seasoned? Well, I, I do think, you know, you hit on it there. I mean, I think with Orlando, they basically hired Steve Clifford to, to upgrade him, and they, which he did. He got him to the playoffs a year ago, you know, and uh, then they fell backwards, had all kinds of issues. And, and, and I, I guess what I would say is that to me, they're, they're not really heading anywhere right now. Sure. And uh, uh, I think it'd be, and, and it's almost a perfect time to go a different direction. I mean, you hired the veteran, uh, a proven guy, kind of hard-nosed coach and stuff. So you'd probably want to, now would be a good time for them to find that, look for the diamond in the rough, that young, sure. that that young, unproven uh, assistant in the NBA or go with a college guy. I'll tell you a guy I think would be a terrific coach. <laughs> Kelvin Sampson. Oh, yeah. Tr- yeah. Uh, University of Houston coach. You know, he was an assistant with Kevin McHale for years. I, I've known him. Uh, for years uh you know he's a minority lumbee indian the ultimate oh, wow. minority yeah. sure. and uh but i mean the guy is I, I have no doubt that that he's a better prospect than just about all the people we've talked about and uh but yeah i don't know that he's you know he's he's had a lot of success in houston university of houston and and you know when you can get to the final four from there that's pretty good stuff uh, even though they got embarrassed but so did Gonzaga by the same yeah. team. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's just kind of my thought on that. I, I, I've always thought if, if, if I was going to hire somebody, you know, out of the box, that'd be the kind of guy I'd be looking for. It's curious because we did have a, a, a rumored candidate from college and that being Juwan Howard over at Michigan, but he, he pulled his, his name back fairly quickly. He seemed to be happy where he is and settled where he is. And I'm always curious as to, what the draw is in college versus the NBA in terms of, uh, uh, I mean, obviously you get to kind of pick your kids and you get to have a little bit more control over the program, but uh, there's only 30 NBA jobs in the league. And I wonder, Jerry, if you can lend some perspective on uh, college versus the NBA and, and why certain college coaches just are comfortable staying there and, and never taking the leap when they'd have a chance to interview for, for an NBA head coaching job. Well, I think, you know, when you get one of the top college jobs, uh, like a Michigan, and I think with Juwan, I think he may end up being back in the NBA because he has background as a coach as well as an outstanding player. But I think he probably feels like he just hadn't been there long enough. And I would agree. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be fair to Michigan or what he's tried to do. Uh, sure. But 
but you look at the top 10, 12 college jobs, the Kentuckys, the Dukes, North Carolinas, UCLA's, you know, uh, Kansas, those guys are making as much or more money than, than pro coaches. And, and once they're established, they're, they're really not under the same kind of pressures. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, you, as I always say, if, if, you know, once you win a championship, uh, Jim Beheim at Syracuse, you're, you're good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you should, and you should be, yeah, and you should uh-huh, yeah. be, and you should be. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, you know, and most of those top college jobs, uh, you're going to win, you know, you, you're going to get the, you know, you're, you're in your conference and you got a Kentucky job. Well, you're going to win. Uh, they won before Calipari, uh, you know, everybody's been there, <laughs> you know, you're going to win. And, and, uh, 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 certainly North Carolina before, you know, Dean Smith, well, Frank, uh, uh, was it Frank McGuire went unbeaten won a national championship before Dean Smith got there. So, sure. so those are, you know, those are, those are career jobs. And sure. Those are, and then, but now you get, now it's different once you slide down the, the list a little bit, but there's about <laughs> 15 or 20 of those that are every bit as good as the best NBA job. Uh, I'm curious to your perspective on this as well, only because we're kind of headed down this track. Another guy that uh, I always wondered, he, he talked pretty publicly about wanting an NBA job and, and hasn't, so far really gotten a chance to prove himself in the NBA is Patrick Ewing, who's been a longtime assistant coach who, who is uh, and now at Georgetown. Uh, is that somebody, Jerry, that you would see as a natural fit in the NBA or somebody, I know the Kings, the Kings might've even interviewed him. They did. Yeah. And, and, and it was just mm-hmm. one of those things that he talked very publicly about. I, I think it's my, like, I think I, I could do it. I think I'd be a good head coach. And it just seems to be that people just pass him by almost like an Elston Turner in that regard. Elston doing it a lot longer than Patrick did, obviously, but I'm curious as to what you think of a guy like Patrick Ewing as a big man being a, a head coaching candidate. Oh, I think he'd be a good one. I do. I think, uh, I think there's another one out there that equally good or better. Uh, Bill Lambeer. Sure. That's coaching the WNBA. It's won championships and, you know, yeah, he, yeah. he, you know, he's Bill Lambeer. So that, you know, it's a little bit like Patrick Ewing. And I think the center being a center, I, I think generally speaking, uh, being big and being a center and trying to and coaching basketball is never, for whatever reason, uh, worked out that well. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and I've always thought it's a little different. I, I, the true center, I always said they see the game different, but they have to because the game is coming to them. The point guard sees all five or the guards. And so I, I think in general, and I mean, I know this is generalization, so, you, you know, there's exceptions. Uh, but in general, I think it seems to be guys with guard experience seem to make better coaches because they see the game from a different angle. Now, but I think in fairness to Patrick and, and Bill, both, uh, they've coached long enough and been successful enough. I don't think that holds true with them. And I think that that, that you know, that that wouldn't be accurate. But I think with a lot of centers, uh, uh like I say, I, I just think it's a little, little more difficult for them to, to enter in their particular position. So used to be not so much now. It used to be so specialized. Sure. You know, yeah. they they basically played five foot around the basket type thing. And the center centers of the day, obviously, that has probably doesn't apply at all. I mean, Jokic, Jokic would be a great example. Yeah. Yeah. That's a curious stigma that that the that the center being more of the physically dominant person 
not necessarily having to think nearly as much versus a point guard who he has to, you know, point guards are traditionally smaller. And so they have to think the game and control the game, you know, their own way. I just, I hear uh, Howard and Samson and Ewing and seeing them really not, really not transition over to the NBA where you have a lot of point guard head coaches. Uh, that, that was always something that I was curious about, Jerry. And I guess my last question is where the hell are the small forwards? I, I, yeah. I see point guards. Yeah. I see, I see big guys. I see little guys, but I want to, I want to, I, I mean, Larry, I guess we can, we can say Larry Bird yeah. a little bit, but. Yeah. I think there's, I'm trying to think you'd have to go back. Uh, well, I guess what I Phil Jackson was kind of a power forward. So, sure. you know, he, he, he would fit the exception category. Uh, uh, but Nate McMillan, you know, sure. more of a point, certainly a guard and, Rick Carlisle, a reserve kind of guard, but really good. Greg Popovich played guard at, you know, sure. at, in at the Air Force, and and so, yeah, it's uh, but you know, I think it's you look at probably about just about all all sports. I mean, in baseball, how many pitchers are managers? Sure. Yeah. I, I you know you yeah. you think just by nature, well, why wouldn't you have pitchers there? But they play every fifth day or whatever. Sure. You know, it's going to be. <laughs> catchers or shortstops or somebody mm-hmm. just invariably you look at the backgrounds it seems to come from that you know more of that direction uh, so anyway uh just a thought jerry would you would you keep giving someone like jason kidd a shot i just met because he his name comes up with every opening and he's a point guard he was a smart point guard but he's also failed a couple times already but it seems like anytime this he must have the best agent in the nba for a coach because anytime there's an opening almost immediately oh you know jason kidd's a candidate but there's one that didn't totally work out. Would you keep giving someone like that that an opportunity? Does he have it in him, in your opinion? I I think he's probably will get one more chance. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think he should. I mean, I, I think he's tried to rehabilitate himself by being an assistant, yeah. and and from what we understand, so so I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I, uh, yeah, it didn't go too well for him, but but that can be said for for a lot, and yeah. and, and in some cases, uh, there's jobs that you're just not going to do well. I'm not saying that was the case. I, I, I think with Jason, he probably, he may have, like, like some of the people we've already talked about, he may have gotten a head, head job before he was really ready. He did get it early, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, because he's Jason Kidd. And that that's also part of it sometimes, you know, to where, where because of a name, uh, sure. you know, they say, oh, you, you know, he'll be, it's like I, I hear that in fans all the time. Oh, man, hey, boy. So and so would be a great coach because he's a great player. Well, not necessarily, or you know, just there's no there's no proof of that at all. I mean, it's a it's unique. Uh, well, I've heard many people over the years, and I think it's true. The hardest thing to hire is the coach. You know, I mean, it's just because you just don't know what you don't know. We because each situation is different, and and uh, probably like no different than hiring somebody to run your company with no experience running your company. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes it'll work out great and sometimes it'll be a disaster. So, so that, there's that. I like to say, I, I just think that, uh, you know, a guy like Jason Kidd, yeah, he, you know, he, he's uh, had some good experiences as assistant. He's had some negative experiences as a head coach, but certainly great player. And as a point guard, uh, You'd think, uh, yeah, he could be a, be a good coach. I mean, you'd think Chris Paul would be a great coach. Uh, don't know that he would. You know, he might be just impossible to play for. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, that was always the thing with Jerry West, you know, great, great player, but the, the, he was such a perfectionist that, that uh, it just didn't work. And he admitted that, you know, mm -hmm. I, I just, he just couldn't understand how guys couldn't do kind of what he did. I know Bob Cousy was the same way. He was a disaster with the Kings. Just, uh, just really just couldn't relate to normal players. Uh, Rondo wants to coach and I wouldn't want him to coach the Kings, but I would love to see Rajon Rondo try and have other players get on his like wavelength of how he watches film and, and tries to memorize he's plays a, and everything. I would love to see just that experiment. He's a bright guy. I agree. I mean, that guy was, I mean, I, I think he was just so bright, brilliant. I, I would like to see Rondo be an assistant for a while yeah. though. I, I just, uh, I think, I think it'd be good for him. Sure. You know, I mean, I think it'd be good for him. Uh, not that he couldn't step into a head coaching job. I think that's possible. But I, I just think for his own, he'd find out some things that he, you know, he thinks he knows that he doesn't yes. really know. Uh, uh, you know, and gets on that side of it a little bit. I, I think a, a guy like Rondo would need to have a, a personality coach next to him, an assistant that could really relate to the guys that could pull him aside because Rondo could have the entire playbook of the NBA memorized all 29 other teams. He could have that entire playbook memorized. And if somebody doesn't get to the right position, he'd be screaming at him to the point where they went, all right, I'm, I'm done with you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He always reminds me of a, Scott Skiles when he was, a, of course, a good coach, you know, you guys remember mm -hmm. Scott, I always remember him as a player and knew him from high school and everything, but he was playing for Orlando when I was coaching there for a brief period. And, and I was getting on Rodney McRae or something about running a certain play. And, and yeah, Skiles come over and he said, you want me to tell Rodney how to run that thing? <laughs> uh, he said, yeah. I said, yeah, go ahead. It, it, you know, he's not getting it right. And of course, Scott, he knew the play. So he went over to Rodney and told him what he's supposed to do on the play. I said, so that, you know, there, there are guys like that, <laughs> that, that know your plays better than your players do. And, and certainly Rondo is one of those guys too. There's one other, there's one other person I was curious about here because I think you probably had some interactions with them, Jerry, and that's a uh, Carol Lawson. Carol Lawson, who's the uh, head coach at a uh, uh, women's uh, basketball at Duke, um, who who was an assistant coach in the NBA before, um, who is a, an Olympic head coach for three on three, I believe, who who certainly has the resume for it. Uh, Jerry, what would you think of Carol Lawson getting a head coaching job in in, in the NBA? I think it should be great. I mean, I think it'll happen. Uh, I think Kara, yeah. you know, I put her right there with Danny Ainge and uh, Eddie Johnson and some of the Mike Woods and Jimmy Les, some of those pe people that come through that just you knew oh. had something going for them, a lot going for them. Sure. And, uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think she's, uh, she's one of the most brilliant basketball people and competitive by nature and uh, yeah i think she'd be you know I, I i think it's it's some years away and i think she needs to you know she hadn't coached a game yet at duke <laughs> so so I, I think first things first and that's a good program and she should win there and but i but i certainly think the nba's a legitimate possibility for her and i've always thought i told her years ago when she went on tv i said you know you're you're going to coach you're a coach you know, I mean, you know, she kind of fought it, you know, no, I'm enjoying TV, but that's, that's fine. I said, you can always do that. You know, when you're, when you're, when you're 55, you can go back and do TV, but 
but you want, you know, if you want to coach, you ought to coach. I feel the same way about sure. Doug Christie, truthfully. I, I think uh, he'd be a terrific, mm -hmm. I don't know if he'd be a head coach for a while, but he'd be a terrific assistant coach, uh, just in development, different things. He's just absolutely uh, potentials all there, in my opinion. But what is it? Since nobody listened to my opinion, <laughs> what difference it make, right? Well, they're listening to the podcast, Jerry. This is the one that well, okay, we're sending okay. this one up to well, the top. Are, yeah, okay. we'll make sure that they listen to you. This okay, one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, let's get to our uh, to our final thing today. I just wanted to hear your opinions on. Uh, we got to dish on the first round a little bit. Um, now I, I want to hear you guys' opinions on uh, the NBA playoffs. Who you're watching? What series you've enjoyed, or what storylines that it, it, that you've. Uh, that you've enjoyed watching over the over the last couple of weeks since we've talked. So, so Tony, why don't I why don't I start with you? Uh, what series uh, What series have you been enjoy watching, or or what's what storyline in particular are you enjoying uh, seeing unfold? I am uh, I'm very much rooting for the Milwaukee Bucks, and to see them make it interesting with Brooklyn is um they tied it up two two correct? I don't, I have that correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was, I was away the last uh, two weekends or last, yeah, last two weekends, but they tied it up with the nets and that um, very exciting to me. Cause I want someone to challenge the nets. I think Milwaukee is the best team in the East to do that. And you started to see the narrative turn on Giannis that during the, the, after those first two losses, Oh, he can't win in the playoffs. He, he is an unskilled player. He's just a, he's all athleticism and strength. And to see, I don't know if he's totally uh, rebuked those, that narrative yet, but to see that Bucks team put together two wins against a powerhouse uh, skilled Nets team is is very exciting to me. Those games haven't been great, but I love that the Nets are getting challenged, and um, that's the, I I will continue to root for the Bucks until they finally get eliminated because I'd like to see them kind of get over the hump there. So that's sort of the series that that I have the most interest in right now. Jerry, what about you? Uh, probably the uh, the Atlanta Hawks and, and 76ers series. I, I, I think the Sixers are going to win it. I think they're just defensively good enough to, to make it tough on yeah. Atlanta. I think their length and strength is really a factor. But I've, I've really enjoyed it, what Nate's been able to do with that team. And Doc, to his credit, what he's been able to do with his team. I, I think, uh, you know, he's put, you know, guys like Seth Curry in positions to have a lot of success. A lot of teams that probably couldn't have and and you know the the using guys like Thibault and and Ben Simmons to make it make the world uh, very difficult for uh Trey Young at times and, and Bogey at times and and that's really been a, a to me why they'll win uh, but I I do uh, I do enjoy that series and then of course I'm I guess I've got my ultimate hope of seeing uh I'd like to see the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks in the finals just to see if the uh, NBA would cancel the finals and uh, <laughs> you know, just say, no, two, two small markets. We'll, we'll just small markets <laughs> rise up. Yeah, we'll, we'll just flip a coin. One of you get away. That's, so that's just my little take on that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I've, I've enjoyed really watching uh, the Suns Nugget series. Uh, I think that, uh, for any Kings fan who who isn't hopeful, and I'm somebody who's kind of a curmudgeon, and when it comes to the Kings, seeing the uh, the Suns rise, um, you know, after spending, you know, almost a decade in the in the in the cellar with the Kings, it's it's given me a bit of hope for Sacramento. You know, maybe maybe we're not next year's Suns team, but maybe two or three years down the road, we're we're that we're this Suns team, and. Um, seeing how Devin Booker's playing, seeing how Chris Paul at the, 
I don't want to say an advanced age, but uh, on, on the back end of his career is playing during the playoffs, posting like a, a 40 assist to three turnover ratio in a sweep of the MVP and his, his somewhat injury laden team. I think it's been a fantastic story. Uh, I would be very happy if the Suns made it to the finals. Um, I think a Suns uh, jazz final would be great um, only because those are two teams that I could both root for in the West to come out of the West. Um, but that, that Suns team is a lot of fun to watch and they've got, they've got that, you know, that glint in their eye a little bit. They've got that, not necessarily a team of destiny, but they're, they're getting there. Yeah. Like they, they right. feel like we're, we're this, this is our year this year. They believe it. You know, that, that's important. They believe you it. can see. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they fully, they'll be surprised if they don't get to the finals. Yes. I mean, yes. really. And that's a credit to obviously Monty Williams and probably more to Chris Paul. I mean, it just goes to show you what, what we talked about all the time. I mean, one great player sure. and Chris Paul is a great player, sure. you know, and people talk about his age or whatever you want to, but he is a great player added to a nice little emerging team. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's a, that and that's all that's really happened there I, i'd like to say it just shows you i mean yeah well you know you you had uh Giannis Adetokounmpo to the kings and and, and guess what <laughs> they would be a really a challenger in the west they would sure. Sure. so so it's very simple money just go get a great player <laughs> one great player Go get Giannis. Yeah. We're, we're gonna get some we're gonna get some clickbait headlines uh, uh former coach of the king said they should trade for Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> yeah well <laughs> so but uh, what did you what did you guys uh uh Jerry do you have any uh there's a lot of narrative uh around um Jokic being the MVP and not being able to pull the team without Jamal Murray uh without some some core pieces of their team um him, him not reaching the, the Western Conference Finals kind of sullies or uh, his MVP a little bit, according to some. Do you have any, you know, it's a regular season award, but the postseason seems to be a, a big indicator of how respected that MVP is going to be, not just in the short term, but in the long term a little bit. And I'm curious as to your perspective on how that goes. Well, the way I look at it is it, it is a regular season award and uh, he's very deserving. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he should be the MVP. Uh, that's not a super talented Denver team and they lost their second best player and they, they got to where they got. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you want to change the award to after the playoffs, that that's another issue. But, but I looked, you know, I mean, just go back through the history. I mean, Adetta Kumpo was a two-time MVP, some of the same issues, uh, great regular season, uh, playoffs are different. And Steve Nash, a couple MVPs, you know, same thing. It didn't take away from their greatness in my mind whatsoever. Dirk Nowitzki got beat in the first round one year. Yeah. Was he not great? Uh, I think he was, and <laughs> he proved to be. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, yeah, no, he, he's a very deserving. And, and, you know, there's plenty of – there's other players uh, that you could make some case for, but, but I, I don't think anybody – if you took Jokic off the Denver Nuggets, uh, they'd be lucky to – to win 30 games this year that so to me that's pretty damn valuable are you guys ready to make uh nba finals uh matchup predictions yet or do you need another uh two weeks to do that mm. uh, i'm curious to see your your thoughts where some of these series are right in the middle of their uh right in the middle of their runs how how you can prognosticate I could predict, and then there's what I want. Unfortunately, like I think the prediction is the Nets sure. beat whoever comes out of the West. 
I very much hope that doesn't happen because sure. I mean, we could do a whole podcast about like how the NBA is, is failing under, under how Brooklyn was able to build the roster the way they have. Um, but so I, I hate to see that rewarded. Uh, but I, unfortunately that, that would still be my prediction at this point, just because there's so much talent on that team. But you know, the injury thing, just, it's hard to, to look very far ahead. I, I, yeah. I just think it, I mean, we could all make opinions, but but I think it could change dramatically in the next two or three days, for that matter. Yeah. So I, I, you know, uh, could, I'll give you two weeks. Okay, I'll, yeah, because I'll let you guys uh, pull out your calculators and do whatever formulas you guys need to make your prognostications. But in two weeks, I will quiz you and I will hold you guys to it, and we'll put it in stone who you think is who you think is going to the finals and who you think wins. I will say Utah versus versus uh, Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals would be so fun. Like both of those fan bases and crowds have been so crazy all playoffs. Those teams have been playing so well and they match up really well. So I hope we at least get that in the West and that could be an incredible uh, Western Conference Final. I will say this. Uh, I'll make one little ignorant statement that, you know, which okay. people <laughs> are, are used to me making. But, uh, but I think the two best games any team has played are both by the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, the, true. That, yeah. that uh, you know, game five, I think it was in, in Dallas uh, when Kawhi went off and then, uh, you know, the other other day against uh, against Utah. I mean, mm-hmm. when they're at their best, I have at their very best, I, I think they're better than any team in the league. Now, the, the, other, the downside is they're not at their best nearly as much as some of the other teams. <laughs> I mean, I think the yeah. Suns and the Utah, I mean, I think you can count on those other teams a little more because you don't know just when playoff P is going to be playoff P and just, <laughs> and just P. Yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, so that's my, that's my, uh, Jerryisms, uh, probably <laughs> off the wall, probably not too bright take, uh, in the playoffs thus far. <laughs> Tony, let's uh, let's get to our uh, Patreon question of the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, every episode of this podcast, we ask one question from our, our Kings community, um, our patrons, and uh, you guys submit questions. We ask them to Jerry, anything that doesn't get selected for the main show. We do a, a full Patreon Q&A once a month with all the rest of those questions and ask them all, ask, ask them all there. So uh, keep submitting them. Today's question is from Douglas. And he asks sort of a follow-up of something we talked about last episode. And it's something we've said before, and, and maybe we didn't uh, really dig in, so we can do that here. He wants to know, um, why does Jerry think that Rashawn Holmes is better than Miles Turner? Uh, love Jerry, but that statement in the previous pod like stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. So Jerry, uh, we talk about Miles Turner a lot in Sacramento and also Rashawn Holmes because free agency is coming up. Um, can you maybe boil down what to you makes, makes Rashawn Holmes a, a better player a better center than miles turner yeah it's a it's not like a huge gap it's just a, an opinion yeah. here but but the reason i think he is consistently brings more effort and energy to the floor uh he he doesn't block shots as well as miles but he he's not bad he doesn't shoot threes as well as miles but in every other way he's far far better defender away from on guards away from the ball on pick and rolls uh uh, you know, basically help defensively, uh, much more active and aggressive. And, uh, and and I just think in today's game, in today's game, being able to guard wings and guards for a center is really a valuable skill and, and not 
not everybody can do it. You know, a Clint Capella comes to mind is one that is really is really good at it too. Uh, but uh, so anyway, that that's why I, I think it's a fine line. Don't get me wrong, I, and, and I like uh, I like Miles. Uh, would uh, if you flip flopped Miles for Rashawn, would Indiana win more games? I think they probably would because they got some bonus. He'd fit, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and 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 Miles probably with the Kings uh, might be just might be better for them in the long run because he could protect the basket better, uh, and and spread the floor better. Uh, so, uh, so I, so I'm dancing there and, uh, you know, on the fence, but I'll, I'll stay with that. I, I just think a year from now, uh, I think it'll be the gap, I think will be a little bit more maybe. So maybe it's just, uh, you know, but anyway, I, I do, I, I just think the ability to guard guards and to switch out and guard guards and, and there's no center in the league as good as, as good as Rashad. He's the best. He's the best I've seen. Well, let's get to uh, Jerry. Let's let's transition that right then into uh, into the Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us, Jerry? Well, I'm gonna do a little promotion here. For of course, I'm a big big fan of the Kings Herald. Obviously, it's just not because I'm doing working with you guys. Although you know, although you are pretty good guys to work with. Uh, <laughs> I was reading a, a Greg Wissinger's article. Uh, Patience is a virtue. Inaction is a failure. And I just think anybody's listening to this. If you haven't read that, read it, and then. Read the comments. I, I, I spent my time uh, both. I thought it was a terrific article, and I really enjoyed the comments because they're, they're totally, you know, people going all over the, the way. But, I mean, many well thought out of exactly what is uh, inaction and how and what would be a failure. And I think we all have different uh, uh, looks at that. But, but clearly this is a franchise is at a turning point. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think the same think otherwise is very foolish. It is. And how you go about turning it, uh, the, uh, how long it takes. Uh, some people, I've always said people probably aren't paying a lot of money. I feel they can be more patient. But if you're plopping down $20,000, $30,000 to watch it, you might not be quite as patient. And I, and I can see both. And I can see both sides of it because I'm not paying any money. <laughs> but if I was my patience would be a lot less. So I, I can say that, but anyway, I just think that's a, that's a and the people really, I, I really respect the differences for that matter. So it's, it's a good read. Jerry, when you said uh, self-promotion, I was nearly certain you were going to say you were dropping an album of Barry Manilow covers or something. I thought we were about to hear that you were about to drop a CD on us or no. something. So um, no, it wouldn't be Barry. It wouldn't be Barry Manilow. Now you know Bob Seger, John Mellencamp, uh, Adele. You know, okay. uh, and, you, know uh, you know, I still okay. like right. Duffy. I like Duffy a lot. So you know, I'm not. You know, I still. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not too far out there. You know, I mean, I I, I like uh, you know like a few people that. that maybe made it into the nineties. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not disappointed. It isn't. I'm just saying that when you, when you called out that it was an article, I went, Oh, I, w- I was really thinking that we were getting something special out of this. So then not that Greg's writing isn't. No, well, 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 wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. You and you and uh, you and Tony been with me for a while now. Now, and why would you think anything special is going to come out of me? That's what I want. You, you all know better now. Everything now. you say is special, Jerry. That's why we keep these uh, recorded and, and logged somewhere. So we have everything you've ever said. <laughs> People do listen, yeah. as, as a matter of fact. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, for everyone here at the at the King's Herald, uh, on behalf of uh, Tony and Jerry, I just want to thank you guys for listening to another uh, episode of our uh, off-season basketball banter. Um, if you if you find the urge to uh, like or rate and subscribe us after an episode like this, please feel free to. It really helps us out. And uh, we will see you in two weeks. And uh, thanks again for listening. <laughs>